You know, all during the week, we all have temptations, and we, sometimes we give in to those, those temptations to build our own kingdom, uh, to serve our own kingdom. But when we gather for worship, we are being reminded that there is a kingdom that we are a part of because of what Christ has done. And when we gather for worship, we are being challenged to build that kingdom. We are being challenged to receive that kingdom. We are being reminded that we, by faith in Christ, are part of a kingdom that cannot fail. Listen to these words as God calls us to worship and reminds us about this kingdom from Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to this. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than that of Abel. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Beloved, let us respond to this call to worship by worshiping our God. You'll notice that we also have songs that you can listen to throughout the day. Um, but I won't sing those for you right now. But you can listen to those at your own convenience and meditate on the truth that is in them. The glory of God. The amazing character of his love. The fact that the Spirit is working in and among us. But for now, let's confess that we are part of the four-part story that explains this unshakable kingdom. So let us confess together this four-part story. And in doing that specifically, let's pay attention to how we can own our responsibility in this four-part story. The words should be before you on the screen. Let's confess our sins together, own our responsibility within this story. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, out of the overflow of your love, you made all things good. We were created in your image to love you, each other, and the place you put us. Our lives were covenant, worship, work, rest, and love. But when tempted, we turned away from you and ran headlong into sin and destruction. In this, we brought shame, guilt, and curse onto ourselves and all of creation. Because of this, we spend our days striving to feel fulfilled, but your grace is changing us. Instead of our work being an expression of worship, it is what we look to for our identity, but your grace is growing us. Instead of our relationships being an expression of the love of Christ has for us, we often expect others to be our Savior. But your grace is saving us. 
Thank you that in Jesus we are forgiven. Father, show us that the fullness of your love has come to us in Christ. Jesus, your love for us drove you to the cross to cover our sin with your blood. Convince us that the resurrection means your love has defeated sin and death. Holy Spirit, reveal to us that all of our attempts to be complete apart from Christ are futile. Change us, grow us, shape us by your love. All is grace, all is gift. Amen. If you would, let's take a few moments now and confess privately our brokenness and our responsibility, things that we take responsibility for before God. Let's do that now. And after a few moments, I will pray for us collectively. And then we will hear God's assuring us that he forgives, assuring us of his pardon. So let's take a few moments now to privately confess before God. Lord in heaven, thank you for hearing us. Thank you that your grace is active in bringing us to the point in which we want to acknowledge before you our shortcomings, our brokenness, our sin, our rebellion. And again, we thank you for hearing us because there is mercy that is found in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Beloved, hear God assuring you that he forgives completely, utterly, because of what Jesus has done. Listen to this from the New Testament. For our sake, he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear that? The Father made Christ to be sin, your sin, my sin. And he had no sin. But he was willing to be made sin, to be treated as a sinner, so that we might have righteousness, the righteousness of God. We are forgiven, pardoned. We have a righteousness that cannot be diminished. It's true because our Christ is alive. Amen. Now, if you would, let us confess our faith together using the Apostles' Creed. This is an ancient, brief statement of the Christian faith. When we gather for worship, we stand on those who have gone before us. We repeat things that they have said. We acknowledge that we believe the same things. So let's affirm our faith and say the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Beloved, this morning we get an opportunity to continue our study in surveying the Bible and the message of the Bible this year. I just want to briefly remind you that there are five threads that you can find throughout the scriptures. This is one of the ways in which we are trying to understand the Bible, the whole message of the Bible together. There are five threads that you can find throughout the books of the Bible. So if we understand these five threads and remember them, then we will understand the significance and the message of the scriptures. God has always had a people. He is always building his church. Thread number two, evil is real, but it never gets the last word. Grace, God initiates, pursues, and saves. Four, he did it. Jesus accomplished something. He is a literal Savior. Death is defeated. He is king. He has done it all. And the last thread, the fifth thread, is that everything is moving toward Jesus. Everything. Everything in the scriptures, everything in our lives, everything is moving toward Jesus. Now with that in mind, I want to read to you some verses from Acts chapter 2. Last week, John Paul delivered to us the message from Acts chapter 1. And Acts chapter 2 fits very, very well with Acts chapter 1. But I want to highlight some things for you. I want to tell you some facts about Acts 2. Because Acts 2 is super encouraging. And I don't know about you, but I always need encouragement. I need to be encouraged. And what I'm going to read to you, Acts chapter 2, these are some of the things that happen in this chapter. There were over 3,000 people whose lives were radically changed. There were people who were baptized in this chapter. There were people who were praising God and enjoying being with other people. There were people who were proclaiming God's word and so that people could understand God's word even to the point in which some of God's people were actually accused of being drunk which the apostles respond to and say, no, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. The Bible is full of funny things that go on. And yet, God's people gather together, praising him, enjoying being together. They are encouraged because of what God is doing. And I hope that just hearing those facts might encourage you to listen to what we're going to read in Acts 2. And then, as we try to understand the message of this chapter together. So here's the point of Acts chapter 2. Reversal is progression. Reversal is progression. I'll explain more in a minute. But listen to this, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Skip down to verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of this Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. Thank you that it tells us the truest story ever told. Enable us to understand Acts 2 and to get at the good news that you have for us today. Encourage, challenge, convict, rebuke. Impress upon us how deeply we need to know your son. Impress upon us how your spirit, the Holy Spirit, always brings us to Jesus. For we pray in his name and for your glory. Amen. So the point we're looking at this morning are these three words. Reversal is progression. That's what I want you to take away. Reversal is progression. Now I understand that this may make no sense at all. So just let me work this out for you just a little bit. This idea, reversal is progression. To be honest, 
we actually think about this and this, is, this idea is impressed upon us all the time. Remember hearing this when the coronavirus first broke out? Well, things will probably get worse before they get better. In other words, the more the virus spreads, the more we'll be able to research and understand and have exposure and be able to identify and work together so that progress will be made. Reversal is progression. How about when you exercise and you want to get stronger? When you want to get physically stronger, what has to happen is you need to tear down your muscles appropriately so that they might be built back stronger, right? Reversal is progression. I remember when I was a kid, I used to have these matchbox cars that when you pulled backwards, when you put them in reverse, they click, 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 and then you let it go, and they shot forward with great speed. Reversal ends up being progression. Remember the words of Jesus? If you're here this morning and you're thinking about what does it mean to believe, or if you've believed for a long time, Do you remember what Jesus said about faith? If you want to know what saving true faith is, what true saving faith is, got to be like a child. Go back to what it means to be a child. That is what true faith is. Reversal is progression. And if you're still thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just hang in there. Give me a chance. Let's work our way through this passage together. And at the end, I will do my best to connect all the dots so that those three simple words, reversal is progression, make sense. So what we're going to do today is we're going to answer three questions. The first question that we're going to answer is an obvious one. What happens? We look at Acts 2, we need to answer that question. What happens? The second question we're going to answer is actually found in verse 12, which we didn't read, which is this. What does it mean? And the third question we did read together in verse 37, what do we do? So let's start with our questions. Let's start with the first one. What happened? So here's a big picture answer to that question. What happened? The first 13 verses tell us that the Holy Spirit was poured out out. Verses 1 through 13. In verses 14 through 36, Peter explained the significance of the Spirit being poured out. In verse 37 through 47, we have life priorities. Life priorities. Here's another way to answer the question, what happened in this chapter? Let's dig in a little bit more to the first 13 verses and the Spirit being poured out. What happened with the Spirit being poured out? Well, there are three identifying markers that explain what it means that the Spirit was poured out. We read read them, the first few verses of chapter 2. The first is this. That when the Spirit was poured out, there was a rushing wind. Remember the story? God's people were in the upper room of a house. They were waiting. Jesus said to them, you will be my witnesses. Go to Jerusalem and wait. So there they are, waiting. 
trusting in God, trusting in his sovereignty, clinging to his word. There they were waiting. There they were praying all the things that John Paul talked about last week that Acts 1 tells us. And they're in this room and the rushing wind comes in. And it's like the wind fills up the room. When the Spirit comes, it is uncontrollable. The wind is meant to communicate something that you cannot control. It's meant to communicate power. There was a power that filled the room. The second marker was fire. There were tongues of fire that were right above the apostles and the believers' heads. There were little tongues of fire, little pillars of fire resting on God's people. You see, that was communicating purity and refining. In the Bible, fire often describes purification. Fire often describes something that is amazingly attractive and at the same time inaccessible. There was a, there was a time when one of God's followers named Moses met with God at a burning bush. And the bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. There was something about it that was attractive. There was something about it that was holy. There was something about it in which was beyond Moses. In this room, there was not only the rushing wind symbolizing power, but there was fire that symbolized purity. And then there were languages, languages, many, many languages, speech. If you read verses 5 through 10, even I think maybe the first part of 11, but in chapter 2, verses 5 and following, it tells you that there were people present from all over the known world. There were people from the east, and there were people from the west, like Rome. There were people from the north, like Turkey. And there were people from the south, like Egypt and Libya. There were people from the islands, like Crete. There were people from the desert, the Arabs. There were people from everywhere. And what verse 6 and verse 8 tell you is that they were speaking in their own native language so that others could understand what they were saying. It was intelligible. It was clear. They were speaking a language that they had not been taught. And yet, those who knew that language, who were present, understood what was being said. You see, what's happening is when the Spirit is poured out, there is uncontrollable power. There is refining and purification going on. And The word of God is being heard and understood clearly. You see, when the Holy Spirit moves, he moves in us. He is outside of us and he comes into us and he moves and he moves us. And you might even be wondering, well, what in the world were they saying? If it was intelligible, 
What were they saying? If it meant to communicate that there were people from everywhere, universal, people from the north, south, east, west, multilingual, multinational, and they were hearing clear words, what were they hearing? Well, if you look in verse 11, it tells you. They were declaring, notice these words, incredibly important. They were declaring the mighty works of God. Now, it might be easy to skip over that, but don't. You see, they were communicating the mighty works of God. In other words, they were communicating the gospel. They weren't communicating teaching for people to follow. You see, that's a way that we often think of Christianity. That's a way that many, many religions are expressed. Here's the teaching. Here's the teaching. Now go follow the teaching. But the message of Christianity is very different, even if it is poorly expressed at times. The kernel, the essence, the core of the message of Christianity is not here's the teaching of God as if it's the same as Buddha or someone else. Here's the teaching of God. Go follow it. No, the message of Christianity is let me tell you the wonderful works of God. What God has done. Not what you have to do, but what God has done in and through Jesus That's what they were declaring. They were declaring that God has done it. Jesus has accomplished redemption. The greatest work in the history of the world, redemption, salvation, forgiveness, is real because Jesus has done it. You see, what happened in this chapter is Pentecost. That's how the chapter begins. Pentecost. Pentecost means 50 days. You see, it was 50 days after the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. 50 days from that, after that meal, Pentecost. Celebration. And it even was tradition in the first century that Pentecost didn't just represent 50 days celebration after the Passover meal, after the last meal. It was also commemorating 50 days after God's people left Egypt and were at Sinai. You see, if Moses has been there, if Moses had been in Jerusalem at this house, When the Spirit was poured out and he witnessed the rushing of wind and the fire and the language, some of what we read in Hebrews 12 and the call to worship, Moses would have been like, do you believe what's happening? Because Sinai had the rushing wind and the fire and the language, the voice of God, that people were so in awe of what God was saying, that they said, please don't speak anymore. But this in Acts 2 was different. Well, let's keep going. What's our second question? So we looked at the question, what happened? Second question is, what does it mean? In verse 12, 
Not only do people think that the disciples and others are drunk, but they say, what does this mean? What does it mean? And here's what Peter does. In verses 14 through 36, this is what Peter does. First thing is, he looks to the Old Testament. He looks to the Old Testament and he begins to connect the dots. So if you're wondering what's going on at Pentecost, what is happening in Acts 2? What is the significance of the Spirit being poured out that Jesus said would happen? Peter says, let's go back to the Old Testament and I'll tell you. And he pulls out the prophet Joel, which actually we looked at just a few weeks ago. And he pulled out the prophet Joel and said, look, this in Joel, this is what Joel said, that the day is coming in which the Spirit will be pulled out, poured out, and, and, and God's people will, will prophesy, male and female, young and old, whether they're rich or poor, they will declare God's word. Peter says, connect the dots. Joel said this was going to happen, and it has happened. This is what's happening right now. Do you see what Peter is saying? Do you, does it click in how he is explaining the significance of the pouring out of the Spirit? Peter is saying the Bible from Old to New Testament is one story. It has one message. God foretold that this would happen, and it's happening. We can understand this now based on what God said earlier. The Bible is connected. The Old and New Testaments are connected. There's one story. And then Peter goes on to say something else, to connect more dots. Peter wants all of us to understand that the reason why this happened was because of Jesus. If you look down at the rest of what Peter said, if you go back in Acts chapter 2 and look after he quotes Joel, the prophet Joel, God's word in the Old Testament, he starts picking out other passages of the Old Testament that show Jesus. If you look in verse 22, Peter says, remember Remember this? Jesus lived in front of us a perfect life. He talks about the life of Jesus that was foretold. Then in verse 23, he talks about his death and the fact that Jesus died as a sacrifice, the final sacrifice for us. If you look at verses 24 through 32, what you find is that this Christ, Jesus, was raised from the dead, literally, and he was saying that in the first century. He was saying that a few days after Jesus was alive again. Meaning, if you have any doubts, you can go ask people because they're still alive. The people that witnessed the empty tomb are still walking around. Not only are we witnesses, they're witnesses all over the place. And then Peter goes on to say, and Jesus... Jesus is not only alive, he ascended back to the Father and is sitting at his right hand. He has ascended back to heaven and he is now king and he is ruling now. 
Look at verse 34 through 35. Peter says, the Bible is not only one story, but all of this has happened because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascending back to the Father and sitting at his right hand, ruling as king. And Peter draws this from the Psalms. Psalm 110, Psalm 16. These are all things that God said a long, long, long time ago, maybe 900 plus years ago. Peter is saying, do you understand that Jesus is the center of it all? That this good news, the works of God are connected to Jesus and what Jesus has done because he has accomplished something. He did it. Evil didn't get the last word. Death doesn't get the last word. Death has been defeated. Our Christ is alive. The third question, what are we to do? What are we supposed to do with this? Well, verse 37 through 47 give us a lot of things for us to do. So let's start and try to put some of these together. But hopefully, they will impact you and hopefully you will hear them and think about them. Look at verse 37 through 47. Peter speaks about Christ living a perfect life, dying for people like you and me, being raised from the dead, ascending, ruling, reigning now. In the first century, Peter would say he is ruling right now. And the people in verse 37 were cut to the heart. You notice that? They were cut to the heart. They didn't hear what Peter said and think, oh, man, that's pretty interesting. Maybe, maybe that's something I ought to uh, think about. It says they were cut to the heart. They were deeply affected. What affected them is what Christ had done. They were cut in the heart by Jesus. They were deeply affected because God's word was true. Beloved, we need to be affected. We should be cut to the heart too. Whenever we think about Christ and whenever we read about him and study his word, we should be cut to the heart because of who he is and what he has done and what he is doing now. And oftentimes, thinking about Jesus can just become so routine. I got this illustration that I read recently, and I think it helps explain this being cut to the heart. The story is told of a king that lived hundreds of years ago. And he returned from battle. <clears throat> excuse me. He returned from battle. And after coming into his house and greeting his wife, he ran up to see his son. And going into his child's bedroom, he looked around and he saw the bed and he saw that there was blood all over the sheets of the bed and the child wasn't there. And he saw the family dog there beside the bed and the dog was fully, his face was full of blood. And the king pulled out his sword and he killed the family dog. And then he went into the next room 
And as he crossed the threshold of the doorway into the next room, he saw his child there in perfect health. And he saw a gigantic dead wolf lying on the floor. Beloved, the king treated his dog poorly because he didn't realize what the dog had done. Do you realize that this is often how we treat Christ? That so often we forget and are ignorant of what he has done and what it means to become a follower of Christ and what it means to be a follower of Christ is to be willing to constantly admit that we undervalue Christ our Savior. That we think that he is useful. We think that he is perhaps necessary at times when we're in trouble. But we forget that he is a Savior and that he has done everything that we need. And not only that, but to be a follower of Christ is to be constantly open to being nailed by the one who we nailed to the cross. You see, it's not that we should live our lives in a constant state of guilt <clears throat> for forgetting that Christ is our Savior and just thinking of him as useful. It's not that we're supposed to live in a constant sense state of guilt. It's that we are to be deeply affected by his great love for us. That we are open to being nailed, effective, called out, deeply changed by his love for us. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he was saying and declaring how much he loved us. And that means all those shows and books and movies that you watch and read and listen to. In that moment in which one of the characters in the story is, is willing to step into the crossfire and take the death blow for someone else so that someone else might live, that was Christ. That Jesus was willing to step in and take the death blow for you and for me. Do you remember that statement that was made a long time ago? It's one of my favorites. That when Jesus was on the cross in agony, dying, suffocating, he looked down from the cross and saw us betraying and abandoning and running away. And in the greatest act of love, he stayed. He stayed. And not only did he stay, he said, Father, forgive them. You see, to be cut to the heart, Peter connects with repentance. Repentance is us over and over and over, habitually. Repentance is the habit of us telling God how much we need him and why we need the death of Christ in our lives and how we are learning about his amazing love 
Repentance is us saying, Jesus, I need you for this and this and this. So we're cut to the heart and we repent. And Peter even says, be baptized. And here's the thing about baptism. Look at what Peter says. Be baptized into the name or in the name of Jesus. You see, baptism is not about my decision. Baptism is about me abandoning myself to be found in Christ. Baptism is not about what I have decided. It is about the grace of God that found me. And if you have never been baptized, let me encourage you to hear the word of God and follow what the scriptures say and give up, abandon who you are to be found in Jesus. Peter goes on to say, if you look at verses 42 and following, look at all of this stuff that's there. Here's what God's people did. Here was the priorities of their lives. Here's what they need. And let me tell you, living in the time that we are in right now, these things that we're going to talk about are absolutely necessary. We need all of them. And we're working toward them. So hear me say that. Look at verse 42. And God's people were listening to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and fellowship. Just think about those. We need to continue to sit under God's word and understand the significance of what Jesus has done because the apostles' teaching is taking everything that they heard from Christ that we have a record of in the gospels and it is showing the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection for people like you and me. And we need to come back again and again to Christ. And we need to understand Jesus and what he has done over and over and over. The gospel is to be the center of our lives. It is the power by which we live. And we also need the breaking of bread. We need communion. And we look forward to the day when we can celebrate it again. And we hope that that will be very, very soon. We need the supper and we also need to break bread with others. We read in these verses that God's people were meeting with others and eating meals. And I would encourage you to break bread with others as you are comfortable, as you are trusting God. Break bread with others. Not only that, but pray. Are you praying? We need to pray during this time. It is incredibly hard and difficult. It is a hard time to figure out how to do our jobs and what's going to happen with our kids and schools and everything else. We need to pray. So I just simply ask, are you talking to God? Are you praying? Are you praying for things that are real needs? Are you praying for others? because it's so easy during this time just to get caught up with self. But are you seeking God for others? What about the fellowship? 
Notice that here you have God's people emphasizing fellowship as its own thing, its own category. We are all tempted during this time to hold up and not reach out to anyone. And even though it's difficult and even though it's a challenge, we do have technology and technological capabilities that we didn't have years and years ago. Are you reaching out to anyone? Are you expecting everyone to reach out to you? If you want help reaching out to other people, I would be happy to give you names of people that you can reach out to, people that you can pray for. We have our own prayer list here at the church that you can sign up for via email and you can pray for the needs of our church. You can reach out to others. Are you willing to do that? Because you need it. I do too. And then look at this. I think it's around verse 45. We find that God's people had all things in common, meaning they were caring for the needs of others. Isn't this the natural conclusion of everything that Peter's been talking about? You see, if we're thinking about the apostles' teaching, then we're doing that with other people. If we're breaking bread, we're gathered with other people. If we're fellowshipping, we're with other people. If we're praying, we're thinking about ourselves and others. And all of that leads to us knowing what's going on and being able to care for others so that we are outward-facing. God wants an outward-facing people, people that are reaching out to others, people that care about the needs of others. And oh, by the way, this was not caring for the needs of others by force or coercion. This was motivated by love and mercy and just downright care. These things that we find here are simple and basic and they are what we really, really need. All the other stuff is not as important as these. The apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, prayer, fellowship, caring for others. Maybe God during this time is simplifying our lives and saying, hey, will you prioritize the things that I think are most important? Will you simplify and do the basic things that oftentimes we so easily overlook? Well, let's come back around. Reversal is progression. Do you see how it fits yet? If not, stay with me. Let's start right in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, literally when the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. Literally, when Pentecost was fulfilled. You see, this day in Acts chapter 2 was the day in which Peter was saying, the Old Testament, 
The Old Testament talked about this. And this day, Pentecost fulfilled what the Old Testament was talking about. And it was fulfilled because of what Jesus has done. And what Jesus has done is not only that he had fulfilled things, but he had also reversed things. You see, real quickly, at Sinai with the wind and the fire and the speech, because of Jesus, that now means that the Holy Spirit comes into us and powerfully moves and purifies and enables us to speak of the great works of God. Remember this other time in the Old Testament? Way back in the book of Genesis? That there was these people who gathered together and they wanted to build this gigantic tower all the way up to God because they wanted to be God. And God came down and scattered them and gave them different languages so they couldn't understand each other and work together and love each other and, and follow his plan. It was the consequence of their rebellion. It was the consequence of them trying to be God. Do you see what's happening here in Acts 2? God, because of Jesus, is reversing what happened at Babel. And now God is taking the message of Jesus into every language and every nation all over the world. And to say it another way, God is expanding his mission. The mission that he has always had. The mission of God didn't start with rebellion and the consequence of rebellion in Genesis 3. The mission of God started in Genesis 1. And it has been continuing to unfold and expand and become clearer. Remember our illustration of the TV? You know what it's like to watch your favorite show in black and white? You know what it's like to watch your favorite show in high def, Blu-ray, 4K, all that stuff? Do you know the difference between listening to something via those old headphones and now the noise canceling earbuds? Do you know the difference of hearing the sound? Same song, same picture, but it's clearer and better and deeper and fuller. God has reversed Babel. He has fulfilled Sinai. He is advancing his mission, the mission that he has had from Genesis 1. This is why Matthew 28 and the Great Commission is not the ultimate expression. It is just a part of the whole that God is doing. And what that means is that we have personal responsibility to repent and to believe and to be baptized and to pray. And it means that the mission of God is cosmic because of what Christ has done. The day is coming in which all that is sad will come untrue. The day is coming in which the lost will be found and death will be swallowed up with life. And it also 
means that we have personal responsibility to build up and be part of the kingdom. And that means that we are to prioritize the apostles' teaching and fellowship and caring for those who have need, looking outward. It means that we participate in God's mission by building and prioritizing his kingdom. Reversal is progression. God is always advancing his mission and he always will. And he summons us to receive it. And he summons us and gives us power to operate and obey within it. He wants us to be ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. It's true now and it'll be true forever. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us and giving us the encouragement we need. Challenge us again and again by understanding that your mission cannot be stopped and that you are always planning to spread your glory throughout the earth. Lord, please continue to challenge and empower us to prioritize our lives and to do that because we have been found in Jesus. So what we do matters. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being the God of all grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, know that God desires you to carry out his mission this week, no matter what you're doing. What you do matters every single day. So whether you're staying at home or going to the office, going on vacation or going to eat, no matter what you are doing, you are God's trophy of grace. You are his special possession and we are to live for him. So let's go out this week knowing that his blessing is with us, knowing that he will empower us to do his will. Hear this and know that these words come from the scripture. They have been bought by the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit is working this into us. The God of peace who raised Jesus from the dead. Because of the blood of Christ, he is eternally bound to you. And through the blood of Christ, he is equipping you with every good thing that you need to do his will. It's even better. He's working in you what is pleasing in his sight so that one day he will get all glory and his kingdom will be fulfilled all because our Christ is alive. Amen. Go in his peace.